Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Thanks for joining us. Today we have special guests here. All of them are special, but really special is my husband, Noah. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here to do this interview with me. I'm looking forward to it. So today we have our guests. They are Travis and Jenny. We're really excited to have them on the show because they have experience with international adoption and are now experiencing domestic adoption. So we always like when everybody has kind of a feel for, you know, the different categories with adoption. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks for having us. So let's just jump right into it. Let's start with your story and why you chose adoption. We kind of considered adoption uh, what we were going to do after we had biological children. So our plan was to be married for five years and then we'd have kids and then eventually down the road we'd turn to adoption. Uh, God had a lot of different plans for us. We tried for uh, a couple years to have biological kids and it just wasn't in, in the plans. Uh, we did a little bit of medical testing and medical intervention and still nothing happened. And so at that point we considered, hey, maybe maybe adoption is God's first plan for us. And so we kind of looked into domestic and international and private and foster care and just all the different choices. And we were very ignorant about the process. And, you know, we just kind of thought that we could, you know, find a high school and, uh, you know, a person would be there like, hey, adopt my baby. But that's not really what happened at all. Um, so eventually we decided to pursue international adoption. And then from there, just decided on a country. And Travis does work in Northern Africa. So we wanted to find a place that we'd know we'd go back and visit. So we chose that. And then from there, kind of narrowed down a country and, and landed on DR Congo. From there, chose an agency. And then kind of the rest is history with our little, little Bailey. So Travis, I see you laughing when she said <laughs> we were kind of ignorant on the whole process. Why is that? Yeah. Um... I mean, you don't know what you don't know going into the process. And so just the mountains of paperwork and the requirements and a home study and what does that mean? And, um, you know, just everything, everything involved in the process is just so much more than, than what you expect. Um, you know, we, we thought you just get into this and it'd be nice and tidy and easy. And, and it's uh, just a pretty, pretty quick wake up call. It takes everything you have. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, really to think about the paperwork, it's huge, but that is a very small part mm -hmm. of the whole picture. Emotionally, you're involved. I mean, you're involved financially. You're just in it completely. And people sometimes don't understand, wow, this couple is adopting, but they seem su super distant or they're not the same or they don't show up at these parties. You are so consumed with this project or uh, venture or journey, you can't really do what you could do before, even before you have the baby. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And I think for us coming off of infertility, we had to grieve that loss. And so for us that, at least for me, that looked like not going to baby showers for a while. And, you know, right. being a teacher, it was kind of hard being surrounded by kids all the time, but we definitely had to grieve that loss and then move forward. And then once we felt that was right, then we moved on to the adoption process. And it was, it was a big undertaking and we were both working full time. And it was kind of something you did after your job was done that you got paid for. So it was definitely something that required our full focus and attention. And I think part of the problem is 
a lot of the stuff that we knew from adoption was from movies and TV and right. it made it look all pretty and easy. And we didn't have a lot of people in our life at the time uh, or growing up that had been adopted or had adopted. So you just kind of think of those, you know, Juno or, or right. stories on TV <laughs> yeah. that that were not anything like what we encountered. Noah's laughing because during our home study interview, I asked about losing Isaiah. Do you remember that uh-huh. movie? Yep. And I'm like, but what if this happens? <laughs> They're like, that's a movie. <laughs> so let's not bring up movies in the questions because it's really nothing as Hollywood portrays it. No, it's not. But it, at the same time, there's such lack of you know, understanding out there. So when you first do jump into it, I remember thinking the same thing. This is going to be so different than what it really is. Okay, so you're finished with your home study. You've picked your country. What does that process look like to get matched? Um, so for us, it was a lot of, I mean, it was hurry up and wait. You know, that's kind of the theme of, of the whole process. Um, and so we just waited and prayed and waited and prayed. And um, and for us, uh, you know, we just waited. And one day uh, we were on actually our way to a, to a little lunch date and in the car got a phone call from our agency. And... They said, uh, you know, check your email, and and in in the email was uh, a picture of our of our little girl. You know, she was two weeks old, and um, just uh, got those details. And we were thankful that we were together to be able to celebrate that together and and hear that news together and kind of meet our daughter, um, you know, in that email uh, together. And so that was kind of our first introduction to to our little girl. Okay, two questions about that. How much did you have saved to start the process? How much should a couple have saved? Upwards of thirty thousand. You should have thirty thousand. At that point, yeah, I believe we had thirty thousand wow. at that point, and even still, we knew that you know we hadn't budgeted for travel yet, and and the other, you know, the unknowns. And with the uh, with the Air Congo, that process was also it, like the it was the pilot program, so they also didn't know what they didn't know yet, and right. so um, so we were we knew that we had to be kind of prepared for uh, the unknowns. Um, you know, and be prepared for, well, now you got to do this additional step and it's going to cost <laughs> right. X number of dollars. And I say that because you guys chose fundraising mm-hmm. and there's mixed opinions about fundraising. But if one can understand how much money it really is to go over there, then I think fundraising makes a little bit more sense. Um, we did fundraising a little bit as well, as well as depleted our savings. And um you know, when people can get involved, then they're involved in your story as well. So even if you can give $50 or, you know, there's these GoFundMe and maybe your friends are, are trying to raise money right now and you can just give a little bit. First of all, you're really supporting the family, not only financially, but emotionally, that you're on their side. You're believing in this child and you're also committing to their story and saying, hey, I'm involved. I've given to this. I want to know when you bring the baby home. I want to be a part of this. So I think that I just wanted to kind of put that in there because I know that the two of you really worked really hard for that $30,000. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, we we often say, many people say it takes a, it takes a village, it takes a community. And because adoption is all-consuming and you're going through this process of waiting to be able to meet your child and waiting to bring that child home, um, to not have that support would have been it would have been impossible for us. And right. so by by making our story known and by asking people to help participate in their prayers and in providing some resources, it just built and multiplied that community. And so now still, I mean, people like feel a part of, 
Bailey's of that. So, yeah, and I love that. Like, that's so precious to us. And I think she celebrates that too. She knows that so many people were touched by her life and her story. And, you know, they just, they care so much about her as a result because they were praying for her for those 11 months, you know, before we were able to bring her home. Okay, so you had your money saved. You finished your home study. I'm sorry, how long until you got the two-week picture? Uh, I would say once we told the agency we were ready to go, it was about a couple weeks. A couple weeks? You're matched. Yeah, I mean, because it was a pilot program, they had they were ready to go. They had more kids at that point than they had families. So they were just waiting for us to say, we are ready. Here's We got our stuff together. That was so fast, but yeah. then you had to wait 11 months to actually get her. Let's talk about that 11 months. What was going so on So we there? were told it would be nine months. Um, and so we basically watched her grow up in pictures. So every month we were promised pictures. Sometimes we got them, sometimes we didn't. We were uh, just begging to see her sweet face, and that was the highlight of our day if we got an email with just more pictures. And then once families started traveling over there, they would give us more pictures and videos and just things that we couldn't get by ourselves. So it was really just building up a community of, of people that were helping us watch our daughter grow. But why? Why did it take so long? So consider the bureaucracy here and then consider the government there. So everything is handwritten. When it floods, they can't walk to where they need to go. Just, it just, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was just, you could wait months for one signature on one piece of paper. And then if something was spelled wrong, then it had to go back and you just kind of waited. And they're not dealing with email. They're not dealing with phone calls. They're just very primitive kind of things that very important documents that we're waiting for um, could get delayed. Yeah. But on the state side, isn't that so frustrating? Totally. Yeah, we were like, we will pay to make it go faster. Right. And that's out of your hands. That's not an option. <laughs> like, like, everyone is going to have this slow process. Where was Bailey during this time from the two weeks till you were actually able to get her? So uh, she was born in February. In August, she got moved from an orphanage. When we passed court, she got moved to uh, a transition house, like a foster home. So for six months, she was in the orphanage. Uh, then she flew out to Kinshasa, the capital city, once we were officially named her parents. And so she was with all the other kids from our agency that were waiting to go home. So from August till we got there in January, she was with a bunch of nannies who loved on her and, and kids that she still has contact with uh, that were in the same orphanage, basically. We've learned so much about international adoption through the show. I mean, Noah and I did all domestic adoption. And one of the things that I, I find so interesting is that once the child is in an orphanage and matched, they then get moved to a foster care system and it's so much better for them. The life is better. They get fed. You know, they they are claimed, so to speak. They're not really orphans anymore because they have these parents that are contributing to their life and loving on them. Um, is that is that common? I mean, is that what happens? Is that just the normal process or is that just the Congo? I believe it's fairly common. I know that orphanages in Africa are going to be vastly different than they are in like Eastern Europe. So we know that, you know, we have pictures of her in the orphanage, wasn't the greatest life for her or any of the other kids that are in there. And then once she got moved to the foster home, it was night and day. So I think it's pretty typical for at least African 
adoption, so that they get moved to a place where they know that they're going to have food every day and three meals a day and someone holding them and comforting them when they're crying. And Can you make sure that that happens? I mean, do you have a right to say as an adoptive mom, hey, I want my child to now be moved? Or are they just automatically... I'm just confused about that. I think I just keep, you know, because I know that my um, my friends adopted two kids. One was in an orphanage and one was in foster care. And they were able to say with one, we want them to be moved. Mm-hmm. And the other one, they weren't. And so the differences between the way that they behaved and attached were huge. Mm-hmm. And so I just want, as a parent that would be interested in that, I want to know that I have that right. I can say my two-week-old baby is going to for sure be in this place if I can't be there. Sure. The best and care. And I think that would be a great option. I know that for agencies, that's a huge selling point. Parents want to know that their kids are being well taken care of. But until they pass court, that's sometimes not an option just because they need to have legal rights to move that child. Otherwise, they belong technically to the orphanage. And how long did that take? That took uh, six months. Okay, so she was six months old when she got moved. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you brought her home at 11 months? Right before her first birthday. Okay, let's talk about that. So we uh, were hoping that she'd be home for Christmas. She wasn't. So we uh, got a call in January. Travis was in Texas at the time, and I was home in Colorado. And we got the call that, this is it, come get your baby. And so I made frantic phone calls to him, like, get home now. Get, Get back on a plane right this minute. And so we had started packing, but we were up till midnight that day. And less than 18 hours later, we were on a plane going to Kinshasa. Was that your first time going or had you been there before? No, that was our first time. Did you consider going That wasn't even an option presented to us. We didn't even know that we could even consider that. So our agency didn't give that as an option. So we didn't. I know families now can do that. um, But no, we never even thought we could. I don't know that I could have. Like it would have been so hard to go and meet her and see her realities and her conditions and be like, all right, well, we'll be back in a couple months. Yeah, yeah, like I, I couldn't, I don't know that I could have done that, you know. So it was, it was a crazy whirlwind when we got that call. I was in board meetings in Texas, and it was like, okay, get home as soon as you can. And then, yeah, eighteen hours later, we're on a twenty-four hour travel wow. <laughs> trip uh, over to over to Kinshasa, and that's not an easy place to get to. So we had to fly up to Belgium and then nine hours down to Kinshasa and uh, and then just that whole reality of being in a, one of the poorest countries in the world and, and navigating navigating that. I wish that we had cameras here right now because when I said, what is it like when you got the call, both of you were just beaming, <laughs> remembering that moment. We're like that with any of our kids too is when we got to bring them home. It's just like you get emotional again because you're so excited. And one of the things about international adoption is once you get on that plane, you know that you're going to see your daughter. Mm -hmm. With domestic, you get on a plane and you don't know if you're bringing that baby home. And so there's, you know, a lot of people say, well, there's a lot of babies here in America. Why do people go overseas? Everybody chooses a different path because it's for them. Mm And I really stress that every story is different, but it's your story. And it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. But at that time, this was your first daughter. So you're on this plane, you know this baby is coming home with you. You get to meet her for the first time. 24 hours goes by, you land. And then was there somebody there to say, hi guys, I'm going to take you here. It was, it was pretty wild, you know, and I've, I've traveled quite a bit 
throughout the world, Europe, the Middle East, Africa, you know, um, and Kinshasa was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Um, you know, so we land and you're just kind of ushered into this big room and Jenny and I are, I think, two of the four white, white people in the airport. Uh, and we're, we're kind of looking for our agency people. They told us, oh, there'd be people with signs and, you know, so we're just trying to find somebody that we think might be <laughs> the person that's there to pick us up. We don't really see anybody. Someone finally comes and, and finds us. And then the next goal is how do we find our, I forget how many pieces of luggage we had, but, uh, we had a whole bunch and it wasn't coming out, but people are coming out with big toilets, other stuff because inflation is so crazy right. in the Congo that they'll fly up to Belgium. It's cheaper to fly up there, buy whatever they need, pay for it to get brought back down. Uh, and so our bags aren't coming out and we're like, well, this is not a great start. And then all of a sudden the guy who was with us had disappeared and he comes out on the conveyor like Superman with all of our bags. Like, I wish we had gotten it on video. It was terrific. Uh, you know, and then from there, it was just, we made the trip to the hotel. It was late at night. We were exhausted and just, you know, trying to just remember what we're seeing of the country. Um, but just so much poverty and lack of infrastructure, you know, it just breaks your heart that, uh, that a, a country is still so undeveloped. Um, but we got to our hotel, got checked in and pretty much passed out uh, until the next morning. And we just, we were basically just told, wait until you get the call from the uh, in-country coordinator who will tell you that he's on his way to, to pick you up, to take you to meet your daughter. Did anyone prep you first to say, okay, don't bring like huge giant stuffed animals or, you know, all the things that we would think about as Americans, like, oh, I'm going to bring her all of her clothes. And, you know, or did they say this transition might be hard or um, what do they say to you? What do they prepare you for? They did a lot of prep for preparing us to be in country, which now that we look back and once we were actually in there, they prepared us to, you know, stay in this hotel room for up to three weeks and said, don't leave. It's super dangerous. And so we didn't. But there wasn't a whole lot of preparation for, hey, this is your daughter. She's been in an orphanage. She's been in a foster home. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. There wasn't a whole lot of that. There was a whole lot of stay in your hotel room with the guards with the guns like so a lot of fear so protection yeah but being in a business hotel uh for 10 days gets to you after a while and so we yeah and gets to a 11 month old yeah okay so did they send a car for you did you guys have to get a taxi who's taking you now to the orphanage or to the foster care home so we ended up running into another American family in the lobby who was also adopting and they had met their son the day before. So luckily we met them because they had the in-country contact. We didn't have anything. We were just told to stay at the hotel and wait for a call from someone. So we luckily met them. And so they put us in in contact with the in-country rep uh, who took us in a van, uh, which looked like it had seen better days. And you know, there are no rules, it seems, in the Congo for driving. So we were praying the entire way because there were a lot of near misses. And we pulled up to this orphanage, or the foster home, sorry, with, uh, there's big gates in front of it to, to protect them and pulled in. And at that point, our daughter was crowd surfed over a bunch of kids and put in our arms. And what was that like? Describe that it's, moment. It was surreal. You know, and uh, it was, I mean, it, it 
was pure joy, but it's just surreal. It's this moment that we've been dreaming about for so long uh, to finally have our baby in our arms, to finally be able to uh, meet her and, and really introduce ourselves to her because we had seen her in pictures, but she had never seen us in pictures, you know? And so we were watching her grow up, but she knew nothing about us really. Right. And so it was, I mean, it was just, uh, it was joy and fear and all of that where it's the, I'm a parent now. <laughs> right. Right this now. This child <laughs> I'm is my responsibility. Um, so being a man and being able to compartmentalize like that compartment was flown wide open, you know, and it was like, okay, it's on, it's, it's time to do this. And, you know, Jenny was a champ and, you know, just, uh, our first picture of just Bailey in her arms, it was like, that was, it's exactly how God intended it to be. I'm going to post that picture on our Facebook page, but I want to hear more about Bailey's reaction to you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more to Travis and Jenny. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. Castle Rock is locked in to the mighty 670 KLT Denver. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. Do you have an adoption story you'd like to tell? We'd love to hear it. You can help so many people on the same adoption journey. Radio may seem scary, but the best part about sharing your story is sharing your heart about children. Visit our website at adoption-now.com to submit your story. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, my husband joins us. Noah, thank you for being here. It's great to be here. Today, we are listening to Travis and Jenny tell us their adoption story. They're still on the journey, but right now we're talking about their adoption from the DRC. So they've traveled over there, and we're right in the middle of the story. They just got their baby girl that they've been waiting for for 11 months, and she just instantly comes to you. Yeah, like I said, she was crowd surfed over us and just placed into our arms and she just kind of stared with her big brown eyes like, who are you and why are you holding me? And she had this yellow Nike headband on um, and these little sneakers that she kind of toddled around in and we just held her and looked at her and stared at her and just kind of soaked it all in and you know, we spent four or five hours at the transition house with all the other kids running around and uh, they were kind of perplexed as to why we were there and kept asking if we were their moms and Aww. dads. And they knew that their mom and dads were coming, but were confused as to if that was us or not. But, you know, we brought toys and lollipops and just had a great day just hanging out with the kids that basically grew up with her. How many kids did you say? 20? There are about 20 kids. And all the of them were matched? All of them were just waiting to go home. Okay. So you didn't have the feeling of, oh, I wish I could take these. No, kids. no. Oh. We were we were taking pictures for their parents. We were measuring shoes. We were looking at clothing sizes to try and get all the information back like people had done for us, you know, a couple months prior. So just trying to learn more about their kids for them while still, you know, learning about ours. Did you have a translator? We did not. We did a lot of hand motions, and that's about it. That's <laughs> I mean, how did you even talk to the foster parents and say, what's her schedule and what's she like? So our driver, our in-country guy, uh, 
he spoke English a little bit, but then he kind of disappeared. So we didn't really get to know anything about her schedule. We, we definitely wanted to, but it was a lot of uh, guessing. So did you get to take her home right away? I mean, to the hotel right away? We did. Oh. So we left after those five hours. We left and went back to the hotel, and that was it. She was ours, and we waited there for an exit letter. So that's the magic piece of paper that we were expecting so that we could bring her back home. Yeah, and, you know, it, 10 days in a hotel room, it's not ideal. But it, actually, like, for the opportunity to get to know her and bond with her, be, being cooped up in a small room, just the three of us, uh, was sort of a gift as well. Um, and so thinking back to that, you know, there was some times where you got a little stir crazy, but just that opportunity to let her explore and get to know her and kind of start seeing her personality and, and all that stuff. I mean, those are just special memories that we have as well. Um, versus if we had just had to go right back on a plane and, right. you know, like the, you know, the first two days of our, of our lives together were on airplanes and in airports, that would have been just really brutal. difficult for yeah. her. Do you think that she missed the other kids? Do you think she was wondering, am I going to go back there? I don't know. I think now, looking back, now that we see those kids often, I think her social butterflyness just kind of comes out when she's with them and she recognizes that she's from the same country and that she grew up with those kids. So I think at the time, I don't think she knew any different just because she was so young, but now she definitely enjoys those kids. I feel like our listeners are thinking about this moment when you became parents instantly, but they're also thinking about practical things. What did you eat in the hotel? A lot of pizza. <laughs> there was pizza? Sure. I mean, it was bread and tomato sauce and cheese, you know? So it was as pizza as you'd expect, uh, you know? And from, from my traveling for work, it, you know, I just try to keep it as minimal. Like, it's like survival, you know? Don't eat salad. Don't eat stuff right. that's not cooked. So we had a lot of pizza. A lot of water. We ate well. It was a business hotel, so they were a lot of international travelers there. So we ate at the hotel every meal of every day, and you know we had packed the applesauce and granola bars and the stuff just in case. So we made fair use of that too. What did she eat though? Isn't that a difference for her? I mean, she wasn't eating pizza. She was probably having no, beans was, and rice. And so she ate. We were told whatever the kids ate. So that could be fish soup. That could be, you know whatever they had that day. And then we transitioned her to baby formula and uh, applesauce and baby food. So I'm sure that transition was a little rough, but she didn't really she seem to mind. Oh, yeah. She the was formula? Mm -hmm. At 11 months? No yep. way. I couldn't even get our infant <laughs> to drink formula. I remember <laughs> Lily would like spit it out. like five different formulas. Yeah, That's I'm, amazing. I remember on the way back to the hotel that our in-country rep's wife had materialized there and said, you know, in her not very good English, you know, her stomach, her stomach is really sensitive. And that was it. Like, no, hey, try this formula or. Right. And it was kind of like, okay, well, all we have is one kind of formula. <laughs> like, I guess we'll use that. So a little different than it would have been here, but we made it work. And was she a good sleeper? Was she healthy? Yeah, definitely a good sleeper and to this day still is a great sleeper. She did have some health issues over there that kind of were brought back with us to the States, but we saw an in-country doctor there who gave us some stuff to try and then saw the international clinic when we got back to the States. 
So everything was correctable. Everything was correctable, yeah. That's amazing. Do you have a question? Yeah. So, you know, you had mentioned that, that you're kind of on your own for the, that, that 10 days. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you learned so many different things. What would you say would be the highlight uh, or like the biggest one or two things that you would want to share with other people who may be going through this or are about to go through this? That's a good question. I didn't realize just how all-consuming the process would be, you know, and uh, it's it's sort of like a torture. It's torturous to just be waiting uh, and then having there and really having no guidance. That's hard, but you just have to roll with it, you know, and uh, our purpose for being there was bringing our child home, the child that God had for us, and this was the first opportunity to love her. So be flexible, things are gonna happen, but just try to treasure those moments because this, is the be- this was the beginning of our, of our expanded family. And so, you know, I think we, we made the most of those days and we did get a little stir crazy and actually decided to venture out a little bit and uh, see some of her country because we want her to know it and we want her to be proud of her background and her heritage and we want to celebrate that and uh, and everything. So I don't know if that answered your question. What do you think, honey? I would say one thing we did when we got home and even started it in the Congo was just kind of hibernating and trying to get her to attach. So a lot of baby wearing, a lot of, you know, I'm going to be the only one that feeds you. I'm going to be the only one that changes you just so she starts making that connection. And it wasn't the best received plan that we've ever had. But I think our families and our friends knew that this short-term inconvenience was going to be a great payoff in the end. So we would definitely recommend that as a strategy for ensuring attachment and bonding and the like. People call it all different things. And I just want to hit this point. Really, really, it's very important for everyone to understand. They call it hibernating or cocooning. Um, It's very hard for a family to bring a child home. Remember, there's 11 months where she had all these different caregivers, or it could be two years or whatever your story is, and you are trying to say, I'm the parent. But everyone around you that has been a part of your story wants to be there too, and they want to hold her, and grandparents want to spoil them, and all these things that would be a natural um, thing for everyone to do cannot be done. And so to be the parents to say, hey, we can't do that. We really have to spend time alone. We really have to build this relationship. Sometimes people get hurt feelings. Mm-hmm. And I just want to encourage families right now, if you're in the middle of that, just keep going. It will pay off. It's very, very important for the child to not be confused. And if you, maybe you're a grandparent listening to this and you're like, oh, I didn't know. You might be on the back burner for a little bit, but it's only for a season, right? right. Because Definitely. now she can be anywhere. She's yep. the happiest little girl. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It was definitely a short term, you know, inconvenience. And but for us, it was something that we enjoyed and we just kind of grew as a family. And yeah, it definitely paid off. Yeah. And I mean, it was a non-negotiable for us. Mm -hmm. And so we just tried to manage the expectations of our of our family and our friends and just I mean, up front said, this is what it's going to look like. We're not going to put a time period on it. But until we say go, you're not going to hold our child. You're not going to feed them. You're not going to change them. That is our responsibility. And we want her to know without a shadow of a doubt that we are there to meet her needs and that we love doing it and that we will be there for whatever she needs. Uh, you know, and, and I tried to kind of explain to my family, uh, you know, we, 
we're starting, you know, you've got the nine months of the pregnancy plus the 11 months. So we're starting 20 months behind and we're going to do all we can to fast track, you know, getting caught up. And, and I, I have no regrets about doing that. Good for you. Good for you to stand up and say, this is what our child needs. So many of us adoptive parents also want to make other people happy. Mm -hmm. And we just really need to fight for what our child as individuals need. And I think one thing that you said that's really important too, is that, um, you don't know how long it's going to be. You've lost 20 months with your child. And so it could be up to eight months, even up to a year to cocoon. How long did you say it took you before you really felt like she attached? So I would say it was probably about six weeks plus the two that we spent in the Congo. So about two months. How did you know when she attached? I think we looked for signs. So we looked at all the things that we had read and, and learned from other people. So we looked for signs that when she, we, she wasn't with, you know, in our view that she would look back for us or if she got hurt that she would reach for us. Um, things like that, that we kind of took as signs in the right direction that she was starting to attach. Yeah. And, and so when we got home, I forget how many days it was after we got home, uh, but we did have some, she had some health issues that required, I think, what, four emergency room visits in five days. And a lot of, a lot of that of trying to navigate what's wrong, you know, what's going on. Um, I think that that and being there to care for her through that also, I, th I think that that expedited the process a little bit too, because she clearly had some challenges and and we were there to Help her continue that. to meet those those yeah. needs okay so this sounds like a pretty dreamy story even though you waited that 11 months i mean once you saw her she didn't cry or scream for someone else i mean she's such a happy little girl and she's just beautiful you do her hair amazing i need you to teach me how to do it i lived in uganda for three years i thought i was pretty good at it and then i saw your daughter's hair i'm like oh no i need to learn some things up your game yeah. up my game that's right so now you want to grow your family and do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so about six months after she came home we started talking about our next where our next child was going to be and praying about that, uh, we hoped that Congo would be the place. And the day we were supposed to sign with an agency to bring home child number two from the Congo, the Congo shut down. So basically, they decided to not give out exit letters anymore. So we kind of waited on them for another six months. They decided to keep the embargo on exit letters. And so at that point, we decided to start praying about where where is our child now? It's not in the Congo, apparently. Um, because it could have been years, and it turned out it was years for that shutdown. So we just kind of prayed on countries. We didn't really feel a call to anything else in Africa. Um, so we just kind of decided to pray on it separately. At that time, I started feeling a pull towards domestic adoption and birth moms. And I knew from our previous decision uh, to pursue international adoption that that was probably not going to be something Travis wanted to do. Let me ask you really quick, yeah. What? where was her birth mom? Where was Bailey's birth mom? Did you know anything about her story? We do. She was in Bujamai, which um, is in the eastern, right? Sort of like south central <laughs> DR Congo. Okay. And she was yeah. dropped off at the orphanage? or? Um, she was a true orphan, so she did not have um, birth parents that were available to her. And that's all the information you know? We know some more. Um, we kind of like to keep her story Sorry. for her and she can share it at some point but yeah we did get very limited information okay but. so if somebody's looking to, to do domestic you're going to know very little you're not going to really know the birth mom which is 
why a lot of people go overseas really is like I I don't want to deal with a birth mom. I just want to bring the child home. So now in domestic adoption, it's a totally different ball game. You may have to deal with birth mom. You may know her. She may want an open adoption. And you didn't feel like Travis was going to be on the same page. And I felt like I wasn't on the same page either when we started with Bailey's. Um, we had had friends that walked the domestic. We walked beside them and just had like the horror stories of adoption and, you know, failed matches and death and just all these crazy things that we were like, no, 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 our hearts hurt too much at this point. We can't do that. And then we started praying about it. And I just kind of felt called to birth moms and asked him about it. And he was like, yeah, no, I'll pray about it, but I don't think so. And I ended up getting, you know, a Facebook message from a friend of a friend that said, hey, there's this baby. Want to know if you guys would consider, um, consider it. And so I texted it to him just as a kind of like, hey, haha, isn't this funny? Like someone thought of us expecting him to say like, yeah, that's weird. Just tell her no. Um, but he texted back and was like, I think we should consider it. And I was kind of blown away that we would both be at the same on the same page about domestic when we had, you know, three years earlier been so adamant that that was not God's plan for us. Okay. So you said yes. So we said yes. That situation didn't end up panning out at all, but it's kind of got the ball rolling for us to talk more about it and to do some more research about it and find out what this whole domestic thing was about because we were fairly confident that we knew and understood international adoption, but this was a totally different ballgame. And so that one didn't fall through, but you have been matched a couple different times. So we signed with our agency in June of 2015. We went active in October and we were matched a couple weeks later um, with a baby due in January. So that one fell through in December on my birthday. Um, found out she decided to parent via Facebook. So that one was not the best way to find out. We were rematched again in March. We flew out to Texas to- Drove out to Texas. Drove out, sorry. We were supposed to fly out, but then this huge blizzard came and all the flights were canceled. So we drove out. Uh, to Texas for that one. Barely made it to the hospital on time for the C-section. We're there, had the baby as soon as it was born, and 30 hours in, the mom decided to parent. So then we, that one fell through. And then two weeks ago, we were matched again with a birth mom in Texas. Found out she was in labor, so we caught a plane. Uh, and then when we landed, we had texts and voicemails that it had fallen through. So two days after we got home from that one, we were matched again. And now we were matched with a birth mom in Texas again, who is due on the 30th. Adoption is not <laughs> for the weak hearted. No, it is not. You are, you are trying to grow your family and you think, how can this be this difficult? How can this be like this? And, and why are all these birth moms changing their minds? And why is this so painful? And we just want a sibling for our little girl. You know, and so I can totally sympathize with you and for you. Um, but then it's like, it's funny how God works because you bounce back up, mm -hmm. right? And you get this next match and you're like, okay, let's go for this again. And God just kind of gives you the grace to do it. Other people who listen to it are like, no way. I couldn't, but you could if you were in the situation and if God gave you the grace to do it. And I always want to emphasize that because we've told so many different stories and 
sometimes it can be easy for people to say, well, I don't want to adopt now. Yeah. And we don't ever want to talk anyone out of adoption. But what we do want to say is that there's a special grace that comes over your family and there's supportive friends that have been through it. Mm-hmm. And really when you bring that baby home, you forget all the, the everything else becomes a part of your story. And, and Travis, you're like, kind of laughing, you know, as you're going through it, because you're like, I can't believe we've gone through all this. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it it's hard. The The first one that fell through was hard, having a, a, a newborn baby in my arms for a day, and then having to hand that baby back to the nurse is hard. That hurts your heart. Um, but through it all, God has just, he's taught me, he's taught us so much that, you know, he's in that, he's using that. Uh, we hope that the way we interacted with the birth mom and the nurses at that hospital, we hope and trust that that glorified God. And, uh, you know, that, especially that second one, uh, when we had the baby for a day, I mean, that helped us realize that somebody leaves that hospital brokenhearted. Right. Like this is not easy for a birth mom. And, and so I think that opened my eyes to that reality too. And just the opportunity to really love and serve, you know, this birth mom who's making a very difficult, very courageous decision. Um, and so I think that drew me even more into this process and this calling, uh, because not only do we get to have the baby God has for us added to our family, but we also get to uh, just serve and love and have relationship with with a, a birth mom, a, a woman that we otherwise would have never met, never known. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think God has just taught me a lot about obedience and what that looks like and, uh, and to trust him and that he's going to use this all for good. We may go through five more fails. I, I pray that we don't, but if, if we do, that he's in that and we need to trust that. That's amazing. You have an amazing story, and we're all praying that in a couple of weeks you're going to bring a baby home, and then we'll have you back on the show, and you can tell yes. us about that story because you will have another story, yes. I'm sure of it. Noah, just in this last minute, do you want to say anything? I, I just want to applaud you guys and, and encourage people who are going through all of these different stories. I think it's such an incredible testament to who you are as parents and, and just who God has called you to be, and it's it's obvious you're so convinced that this is your calling. And I think that's such an important piece of adoption is every story is different. That's why we're doing this show. That's why we want to continue to build up these stories so that even if one person hears your story and is encouraged and is led to, you know, their story, I think that's such an important role. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Noah, for joining in this interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you'll come again. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, and remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. 
and join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.